I don't know why I have this sudden urge to laugh. Hold on. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Downtime with Cranston Public Library. This is a podcast for cool people who love libraries, where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. Taylor is away this week. I'm your guest host, Elena. I'm a youth services librarian at the Central Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, my name is Aganza. Um, I'm an artist from Providence, and my pronouns are she and her. Hi, my name is Genesis Brera. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a writer, teaching artist, and librarian uh, based in Central Falls. A little bit later in the show, we'll talk to Genesis and Angoza about working as a Hispanic slash Latine professional in a creative field. But before we get to that, let's start out as we always do with what have you been reading? Um, recently, I'm honestly, I'm not really a reader just because I'm such a... Uh, I could I could just paint all day and I'm I don't really <laughs> I'm not a book person but recently I have been reading a local author um, and the book is called Born to Rise and um, it's just uh, about women who have rose um, upon just things that they just go through and they just still rise um, and then uh, I'm also just reading some uh, children's book. Uh, illustrations from Dominican Republic, um, but that's about it. That's cool. Have you read um, what is it? Platanos or everything? Not yet. I have not yet. But um, I am reading. It's called. I, I believe it's like the colors of my the colors of my streets, and mm-hmm. it's like the whole point of like um, you know in Dominican Republic, you know all the houses are so colorful, and so it's just a girl who in school. I love that. It's so nice that books like that are coming out nowadays. I read uh, Platanos for Everything specifically for Reading Week at a couple of elementary schools. And um, there was just incredible feedback from the kids because like, I gave them the option of choosing a couple of picture books. And they were always like, I want to read Gold by David Shannon. And I want to read about Platanos because like, always half the class was full of Hispanic kids. And I'm like, what do you know about Platanos? Like, tell me what you know. And then, you know, they would all talk about different ways they eat it. And then it was nice because the books are sort of in Spanglish. So then we would say all the words together, you know, like there was just certain like cultural references that I think made the kids really proud to be able to explain to their classmates, um, which was beautiful. I love being able to offer that to kids. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I think it's empowering to them and then empowering to me. Yeah, I think for me personally, I just feel like I wish there were more children's books when I was younger that were very Dominican dominant or Latin dominant um, because I feel like it would definitely more encourage me to read more. And um, the fact that it's like Spanglish, it's English and Spanish. Yeah, absolutely. I've talked about this a million times with a million people and it's happening. It's definitely happening in in children's literature specifically. It's so easy to buy a bilingual board book line by line or even that Spanglish. Um, But it's happening for us. I see it every day. I see it every day. That's what I buy. Those are my collections here at the Central Library are the picture books, the board books and early readers. It's really, again, it's empowering. It's refreshing to see. We get to see ourselves and our family and friends in picture books. 
Yeah, I like to think that all the authors and illustrators of the books that we see coming out now that really center the stories and experiences of Latinos, I like to believe that that's because they grew up not seeing themselves represented in in children's literature. And so they, you know, made it their goal that they would grow up one day and, you know, produce a book that really that that I think kids, even me as an adult, whenever I read books like that, um, which I do pretty often, I feel very seen um, and I feel very validated in a way that is really nice. Um, I have been reading lately, though, something very different from children's literature, um, which is horror and specifically horror written by women from Latin America. Um, so there was a, a book that came out last year that was kind of a lot. It was a very heavy book in a lot of ways, uh, but it was uh, called Cadaver Exquisito. Um, I'm forgetting the name of it in English now. Uh but it was by Agustina Basterica, and I think she's from Argentina. Um, but it was kind of like a sci-fi dystopian horror, and that was really great. So this year she came out with a book of short stories, and um, some of them are only like one page long or like one paragraph long. But I have been reading through those, and they're also very very creepy. Um, they're like these little bite-sized uh, nuggets that I like to read before bedtime, which I don't know if that's the best time to read horror. Um, but I like to just get cozy and, you know, it's dark and I get very, um, I get very into it. So I've been reading that. And yeah, there's been a lot of interesting books that have these elements of, of horror that have been coming out of Latin America uh, for a couple of years now that have been really, really good. Uh, but it definitely is the kind of thing that you have to already be into, I think, um, if you're not a genre reader. <laughs> I love that. I love horror, so oh, I, I want to actually read it. <laughs> It's the perfect time for it, honestly. To me, in my heart, in my librarian heart, it is Halloween. It's spooky season. We already put out spooky titles and Halloween books in separate spots, but they're there for different vibes. So I fully support that. Um, what I've been reading, I have a book group called The Other Book Group, and we decided for this month we're going to read On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Vuong. And it's stunning, as per usual. I think this is maybe my second or third time rereading it. I read it when it first came out back in 2019. And for anyone who doesn't happen to know what it is about, it's about um, this writer who is writing to his mom about his childhood memories, basically, with her and his first real relationship. I find that poets who tend to move over to then writing novels write some of the most incredible stories without there being too much plot to it, honestly. It's, it's more like sharing and being able to break down like one specific thought in this uh, really, I don't know, threaded way, maybe. It's stunning. Everybody loves that book. I don't think I've ever met someone who didn't enjoy it. So 
that's what I'm enjoying. Also, I am trying to get in more into TV and movies, but the thing is that I just moved into my first apartment and I love horror films, but I don't really know how to cope. Because, like, my couch is basically in the middle of my apartment. Like, I don't even have a wall to my back. You know what I mean? So, like, if something wants to tickle me, it can. So, um, I've been watching, like, Hocus Pocus, Frankenweenie, Halloween Town, trying to really enjoy the, like, wholesome horror. Quote-unquote horror. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's where I'm at. Movies, um, I think they're they're difficult for me. I think um, I love rewatching things. So I've been watching, I love Halloween. Halloween is my favorite holiday. I think it's just because um, Halloween is rooted originally from Latin and Hispanic. So um, I have a hard time with like people like, oh, it's very (laughs) satanic. And it's like, Mm -hmm. actually, it's actually to celebrate our ancestors. So I really love um, watching original horror stories uh, that are Latin um, like La Llorona and um, uh, recently I've been watching uh, re-watching the Hermana Mirabales and just like you know, dictatorship of the Dominican Republic and um, yeah, just a lot of just, um, I think it's just more storylines of like history, um, but nothing specifically, just very random <laughs> No, I love that Something that I watched recently reminded me of what you said, um, Igonza, because I've been watching this show called Reservation Dogs about indigenous uh, teens in Oklahoma. And there is a tradition um, that it has an aspect of like horror, the supernatural, um, but it has to do with like a woman who has deer hooves instead of like feet, she has hooves like a deer and they call her deer lady. And the lore is that she shows up to get like retribution or she's kind of like a vigilante figure. So if there's a a bad man that has like done someone wrong, she kind of like goes after the, the bad men. Um, but we learn, I don't want to give it away, but we learn in an episode that's dedicated to her in this season, because she's like a recurring character, but she only pops up occasionally. And, uh, this season they had an episode that was like entirely dedicated to her. And we learn that that story comes out of like the, and the generational or ancestral trauma around, um, the boarding schools that they had uh, on reservations for children. So we learned that the story kind of came out of this idea that, um, you know, there were really horrific things happening to children, Indian children in these boarding schools. And so this story, I don't know if it's true, or it's probably rooted in some truth, right? That, um, you know, there's justice and that bad men kind of will get what's coming to them then uh whether in in this life or in some other life but yeah it's i think that um that idea i think is so interesting and and weaves throughout lots of different traditions and especially indigenous traditions which i think is really cool well you have to share that so i can watch it now watch it in my studio while i'm painting 
I love the show and I'm with you. Like I find it really hard to sit through a movie and I find it really hard um, to like watch things where I don't already know what the story is kind of because I don't like being surprised. But this show is just so wholesome. And in that same way, um, like even though I'm not Native American or indigenous, I feel like there there's some aspects of like my own experiences that are reflected in the stories that they're telling um, through these characters. So yeah, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll get you the information. I think as artists, well, specifically me, I have a hard time because usually movies like you can expect what's coming. And on top of that, I'm such a creative person that I actually get distracted with how the movie's even being made. So I'm like, you know, how do they do this? Or I'm, I'm, I'm watching the character as an actor, not like a character. <laughs> so, but when it's more historical, I tend to be more attentive as to like just the storyline. It's, it's really weird. I don't know, but Halloween is here and uh, Hispanic Heritage Month is here. And I was just like, you know, I think the story of, uh, you know, where Halloween originated and the other I'm with and talking about where it really comes from and how it's not this evil, scary thing. It's mostly more of a celebration of, of things that have passed and we, we just honor it. That crossover of history and horror. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've talked about this a lot um, with lots of people, but like, there again, there are lots of things being put into the industry now. And I think it's so funny because this morning I literally had this like beautiful Dominican baby walk up to me. She usually just like walks up to me just because um, she never says anything to me, but she just likes to stand and stare. And I was reorganizing my board books. And I was telling her I was trying to look for something spooky. And like one of the first board books I pulled was from was, uh, was by La Llorona. And I was like, this is the wildest thing ever. Like a book about her for babies, like for real. But it's also one of the only books that's published out there for kids to be able to read like if a kid is like i want to read something i would hand them this little board book and we'll return to the show after a quick break enjoy the latest movies music ebooks and audiobooks instantly with hoopla Cranston Public Library cardholders can borrow up to five instant titles each month with no wait times or holds. You can download the free Hoopla digital mobile app on your Android or iOS device or visit www.hoopladigital.com to begin enjoying thousands of titles from major Hollywood studios, record companies, and publishers available to borrow for instant streaming or temporary downloading to your smartphone, tablet, and computer. Cranston Public Library is pleased to bring poetry to our patrons all without leaving the comfort of home. No internet, computer, or smartphone required. A recorded poem read by a CPL staff member will be available every Tuesday afternoon. To listen, call 401-900-1090 and be sure to check back weekly to hear what's new. For more information about this service, please visit cranstonlibrary.org slash on the line. There's some type of like, I don't know, honoring, but also conservation ship of it kind of. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. And it's refreshing to hear that both of you are so 
so supportive of like, again, that horror element, but also the history element and the cultural part of it. That's kind of why I brought you on today because I wanted to talk about your art, what you do with it and how your personality and your identity just goes into it. If you don't mind, I kind of like to switch over to that and ask you, you know, this is your platform. Please share with us, what is it the work you do? What type of art do you work with? What mediums do you work with? I want to know about what what art you're doing, what work you're doing. Yeah, I think um, I think it ties perfectly with what we were talking about, like horror, because um, I'm a painter, I'm a muralist. And as a kid, I feel like um, I don't even consider the word horror. I, I think it's more of like um, we have these beliefs that have carried on in our history of like, La Bruja, like, you know, the, the witch of the neighborhood or all these little things that as um, a Hispanic person would have beliefs in their family. But as a kid, I would always, like, draw these things that people would be like, oh, it's so scary looking. And I'm like, not really. It's just more of, like, these storylines of, like, you know, there was a bruja on top of the house. Like, did you see it, her flying? Like, all these beliefs are just, like... Um, uh, like these animals that, uh, what is it called? Oh my God. It's, um, I can't even remember the name of it, but it's like a animal who comes and hurts like all the farm. And usually when an animal gets hurt, we don't say it's like a wolf or anything. We're just saying, Oh, it's like the, the chupacabra? That, like, chupacabra. Like we have okay. all these things that other people may find it hard, but we're more like these just traditional things. But, um, I actually started off drawing stuff like that. Um, to depict because there were always things of these storylines that was talked about but never seen. And so I was more like, I want to draw it. And so um, I actually started off doodling, doing stuff like that. But then um, I transitioned into more um, of a healing, using my art for healing because especially in the Latin community, uh, mental health is not really a, a thing we speak about. And so I used my art to be able to express myself and use it as a form of coping with things on a daily life um, that was looked normal upon instead of getting therapy because I didn't get therapy until I was an adult because of that stigma. But um, I've always used my art as a form of storytelling and expression um, so, and I, and I still do it to this moment. Like, even my murals that I paint around the city, I'm, I'm always trying to absorb the environment that I'm going to be painting it in. And I try to tell a story on that mural um, with, with what I've absorbed in the environment. So that's mostly, like, how I um, create my artwork. I love it. What about you, Genesis? What are you making? What are you doing? So I have been very interested in self-publishing lately. Um, so it kind of is a nice intersection of everything that I do in terms of um, research as a librarian um, and then also creative writing as um, as a teaching artist at Rhode Island Latino Arts. I have been um, having workshops teaching folks how to make um, mini comics. Um, we also call them zines. Um, so th the idea is basically just to get people 
self-publishing, whether it's their drawings, um, maybe photography, if if it's their own creative writing, um, it is a very uh, democratic way of uh, publishing that doesn't involve the publishing industry whatsoever. So you can, you know, put anything you want out there. You can make as many copies of it as you want. You can name your price. It could be free. You could sell it for however much you want. Um, but yeah, that's part of what I love about it. It feels very accessible. And my, uh, my goal is really just to teach this very basic technique of paper folding um, so that hopefully people feel empowered uh, to create more art and to share it in their communities. Yeah, you're both artists that work with RI Latino Arts. That's how I found you in Goza, specifically. Um, I found you on the website and I saw your murals and I actually realized that I live around the corner from one of them. Oh, which one? Um, it's by New York System. One side has three women on it, and I forget what the other side has. It's like right next to a mini walking pass. Oh, yes. It's in the Olivelle Square. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what the heck? I actually lost my mind because that was only like four days ago that I went on that walk, and I was like, wow. I manifested it. Yeah. That's the way I mm-hmm. it's, it's very, uh, it's like, how do I, it's like a hunt. Like you go through these, the neighborhoods and, um, discover all these little art pieces it's kind of cool but it's just it's nice to hear that user because it's just you know I've, for so long there were so many murals in downtown and there was no love in the, I'm from the west side of Providence um but I you know I have a lot of love for the south side and but I, I just felt like there was not enough murals in the west side of Providence and that's it's a very large Hispanic dominance in the west side is that isn't really recognized because it's like the jewelry district. Um, but, you know, everybody's scared to cross the bridge. And um, I I was like, yeah, no, I refuse to do any murals in downtown and I want to do it in my neighborhood. So that way there's a lot of schools in the West Side and kids can come out and be like, oh, I can actually do art as a career and encouraging that because specifically in the only ville where there's about... I think there's like three schools actually in that area. So there's a lot of kids coming out and going to the Salvadoreño corner to get some panaderia, like some pastries and stuff, and they, that they could be exposed to. And then look me up because all the kids have social media and, and phones. And look me up and see like, wow, she looks like me. You know what I mean? So um, I'm not perfect. I'm not this, you know, figurative you know, look like this social media person. I'm just a regular plus size Latina girl from Providence, so which is pretty cool. Yeah. Hearing both of you speak, I was trying to save like this type of spiel for the end as like my thank you, but honestly, I'll say it now because I can. Hearing both of you speak is so grounding and I feel so honored. I know for like 1000% after this group call, I'm going to cry so much (laughs) because being able to do this with you for me is such an honor. And yeah, I mean, I've talked, (laughs) I I feel like I keep saying this, but I've talked about this so many times, but again, like when there's so few people like us in the fields that we are in, it's so easy to basically tell the same spiel over and over again. But like, I'm one of like three Hispanic librarians in the state. And, um, 
kind of returning back to reading week, like I had my last class with a, was a group of fourth graders and the way they ended it on their own, like when they found out I was Dominican and all that jazz, they were like, thank you. You know, we can't believe we have a Dominican librarian here in Cranston and you're here talking to us. Thank you. And I just couldn't believe that was something that, um, that I was lucky enough to experience because I told him, I was like, the honor is mine, right? Like I'm here to represent you, but I couldn't be here if it wasn't for you, right? Like it all comes back to you and being that representation yeah. and doing the work. That representation is key because like, the problem is like a kid could actually now look at you and be like, oh, I can be, they can see themselves in your feet, which is pretty cool. So. I think about what going to the library and lots of different spaces, like the doctors or going to the store, how those spaces would have been different growing up had we seen people that look like us, right? Like I have glasses, I have really big curly hair, like I have hand tattoos. I usually wear like a lot of jewelry. And that was one of the first times that I realized I wanted to become a librarian was when I recognized like how my body takes up space in the library automatically by me just being there. Um, and yeah, and I, and I personally, and I tell people, I'm like, I get told by Hispanic parents, they're like, we only go to you. Like, you know where the books are specifically that have our culture, that have references we understand. Like, we see you, we feel comfortable talking to you. Even at the branches that I've worked here in Cranston, um, I would have like the full timers when I was part time back in the day tell me they're like, you know, these families would come in like once a month or something. And, you know, they would just high by and that's it. Now they would come all the time. They'll come talk to you specifically. They'll stay. You know, they want to know you. You to them are a reflection. Um, it's a comfort. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. 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 Well, as a kid, like when I would I have somebody who was Latin, I would most likely go to them just because they were Latin like. It was more of like a, I know it's odd, but it was more of like a comfort, like, oh, she's Dominican, she'll understand. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's it's not that I was trying to, but it was just more of like a culturally comforting thing to know that mm-hmm. that person understands me um, culturally. So it's, it's, yeah. it is a comforting thing. Mm-hmm. And it takes work, right? What we're doing, all three of us, it takes work. And we're all and- women. Yeah, exactly. Like work. (laughs) Snaps to that. I don't know if my microphone is picking up my snaps, but like snaps to that seriously, because, you know, I've been reading this book for a while and I read it for my book group, but I've been reading it for a while slowly called You Are Your Best Thing. And it says like basically the first step to sort of like facing generational trauma and getting over your own problems basically is becoming vulnerable. And I've thought about personally for me, how vulnerable I've had to become and to really think about, again, like the space I take up, what I'm doing, it's it's not just in my face, but also the tone of voice, how I engage with people, the, the verbatim I use and how active I'm willing to be in my community, right? Like I was basically born and raised in Cranston, Rhode Island. And there's a reason why I stay here. I say because I want to be the person that I wanted to see growing up. I I grew up on the east side of Cranston. So like, you know, I try and keep in mind that like when I see families of color come into the library, I want to walk up to them and be like, hi, my name is Elena. You know, are you interested in programming? Do you know that I do evening story times for families that work nine to five jobs? There's food involved. We'll make a craft. You get to put it in your fridge. It's super awesome. I promise. You know, just like putting in that extra work because, I mean, this is how we're going to heal it, right? It's got to start somewhere. Literally. And no offense, but like I'm looking into the faces of the girly pops that are going to solve it. So yeah. not solve it, but like, you know, it's no, it's, it's a true. step. It's true. Yeah. But I, I also think it's, it's 
that's a good way of putting it, the way you said it, um, making yourself vulnerable. Because as soon as you said that, I was thinking, I was like, that's so true. There was so many moments where I had to, um, that I love things about myself, but I know that other people didn't and criticized me for it. And I had to make myself vulnerable about something that I truly love about myself and, and let people basically judge me to be able to be that difference, but also how you say, I want to be the difference in Cranston. Cause it's true. Like everybody's like, Oh, I can't wait to leave Providence or I can't wait to leave where I'm at because there's nobody here that looks like me. And I want to be able to go. It's like, no, we shouldn't be thinking that way. We should be like, no, we're going to stay here to be that person. And that's mm-hmm. how everybody should think, especially like, um, I never saw a Latin plus size woman painting on walls. You know, I always thought I had to go to New York or California to do art. And the first time I saw a mural was in Massachusetts and in Lawrence and in Lowell. So I was like, why? You know, everybody's like, you know, for you to grow a gonza, you have to leave Providence. And, and I'm just like, no, that's not true. Mm-hmm. For me to grow and help other kids grow, I'm going to have to stay here to be that person so and it's cool because now I'm like I I go to schools and kids know about me which is you know I went from being like nobody's teaching about people who look like me and the only person that they'll teach about is Frida and they barely even talk about Frida you know I mean they're always talking about they'll talk about Diego and all these other artists that are men or um so now again we're being that change and being that person so it's it's really cool yeah. And it's exhausting work, right? Like there's so few of us who are like actively like pushing for these things in the community and like actually getting somewhere where people are listening to them and engaging with them. So that isn't to like let everyone listening know like this is easy. I love it. I'm so inspired. No, it's actually super exhausting. I go home and I cry sometimes because I'm yeah. like, will anything ever get done? But it Girl, will I get done. I'm like, I'm like going because listen, I. People don't realize you being, so not only are we Latin, but we're women. So we have a little bit, I know it sounds, but we have a little bit more pressure on our shoulders because now we have, as a woman, we have an expectation. And like, even like this weekend, PVD Fest, like it was this expectation as being, you know, categorized as the number one Latin artist and muralist. and, And I felt this pressure and this vulnerability to be this thing that people want me to be. And... I was just, it's exhausting. It's emotionally exhausting. You know, I'm, I'm a confident person. Like, put myself up. I'm like, you know what? I, I am who I am. I'm take me as I am. But I'm not going to, like, come home and I'm just like, I wish I was, oh, my God, I wish I was thinner. Or I wish I was more, you know, whatever. And I'm, it, it, it's, you know, we're human. We feel. So, and especially now that this month is approaching, so it's definitely all eyes on us and making sure that we're being you know, we're, we're representing and we're showing the kids that you could do this. There's no such, like, if they, there's no, you can't make excuses. It's just, just get it done and show people what you can do. And it's all about how you put your mind to it and consistency too. Mm-hmm. I think about how so badly I want to change the world. And I try and explain, especially to my brother, he's 16, about to turn 17. He's like, isn't that like exhausting. Like, why don't you just want to go to work and go home and do whatever? I'm like, no, some people are like that. And that's fine. You do you, my love. But like, personally, for me, 
no, I feel like I have an obligation and it's an honorary obligation. It's something that is my life passion um, that this work has to be done and it has to be done by somebody and changing the world doesn't mean it has to be with a massive movement. It doesn't even mean a hundred people. It just starts with one person. It just starts with one person. You change one idea and it's a domino effect of everything else, you know? It's contagious. It's contagious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's contagious. It's precisely. I mean, even like when I, um, when the the 2020 uh, George Floyd protest came in Providence, they were boarding up windows and I'm like, oh my God, they're going to make us look so bad because it was part of the protest. And I'm like, they're boarding up the windows and they're making us look like we're these like, and they never use the word protest. It was always riots. And I was so upset Mm -hmm. about it. And I'm like, oh, my mm-hmm. God, these boarded up windows are going to make us look so bad. So I remember the day before I went and I just started painting up boards and um, had partnered with some local organizations and a local business. And I'm like, you know, if I don't do it, who will? And it went from me painting this thing and it became contagious. And all these artists started coming down the street and painting all up the boarded windows. And I was just like, yes, it's the simple like. It takes, it's like a classroom, like nobody wants to answer the teacher until that one kid raises their hand. Now everybody wants to raise their hand and because they were too scared, they just needed someone to take that first move. And that's mm-hmm. what we need to do. So You transform that from a riot to a movement like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and what about you, Genesis? Because you're from out of state. So in your position, do you find it in some ways difficult to connect with the youth how often do you work with the youth how because you and I have sort of talked previously about this in a way do you feel that there is like a disconnect between you and the Hispanic community in Rhode Island what can you speak to us about that a little bit sure so I'm from Texas originally Um, my family is from Reynosa Tamaulipas Mexico which is right on the northern border of Mexico and the southern border of Texas so um, I I was born in the Rio Grande Valley, but I uh, was really raised most of my life in the Dallas uh, metroplex. I didn't move in, uh, into Central Falls until 2017. Um, but the reason that I did was because I heard that this is uh, kind of one of the biggest Latino communities in Rhode Island, and that even in just a square mile, there are so many different um, types of Latinidad represented. Um, So that was really exciting. Uh, When I moved here, being um, Mexican, speaking Spanish growing up, I felt immediately like I needed to find my people. And I think um, as many other Latino transplants to Rhode Island um, might find themselves. I learned about Marta Martinez, who's the ED at Rhode Island Latino Art. Um, and Marta and I connected because she's also from Texas and uh, moved to Rhode Island for school. So really, it's been that persistent kind of like partnership. I, I, I don't even really like consider it work um, or it's only become that, you know, all these years later, um, back in 2017, I would just go to events. Um, I, you know, if I heard about an art opening or a music performance or, a, you know, 
a, a crafting event. If it was for Latinos, by Latinos, I was interested in who who they were, what they were doing. And after enough years of that, um, I think I had built up um, enough of like a partnership to feel like I could actually be the person holding that space. Um, so I've done like different events um, over the years. We will have like food making, um, we'll have different arts and crafts. Um, but the zines has just been like within the last year or so. And that is really bringing together this idea that like there is a long history of um, Latino communities in Rhode Island and across the United States. You know, the same is true of my home state and it's true of a lot of other places Um even when we don't think of them as being like the, like in the Midwest, I'm always so fascinated to learn about the history of um, Latino immigration into the Midwest. So you'll come upon these like really um, established communities in like Iowa or in, in, you know, Chicago uh, because of the Bracero program. Like it's kind of all, connected to that history, um, which I find really interesting. Um, I think the thing that is most exciting for me as a Latino artist and librarian living in Rhode Island is that I feel like I am much more exposed to the different types of Latinidad that are out there than when I was living in Texas. And it was just like, a lot of uh, people from Mexico or who have Mexican and Central American heritage. Uh, we we know that's not the only continent um, Latinos live on, and uh, that isn't the only way to be Latino. Um, so it's it's been, I think, a real lesson in in my own heritage uh, because as a Tejana. As a Mexicana, there was a lot that I didn't know that I didn't know, <laughs> right? Until I moved here and I started meeting people from um, all the other countries that are represented in Latin America. Wow. It's so wild to hear that because I didn't even recognize that that was a privilege we had here. But yeah, it's so true. I mean, I've had classmates that were from Venezuela, DR. I've had a few Spaniard classmates. Um Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, and I, I've never had a bad experience um, in meeting someone, even if we may have um, cultural differences. We always find that where we overlap. Um, oh yeah, that's been just a really great way for me um, personally to feel more like I have a sense of community and a sense of belonging and. Um, the fact that I now occasionally like get paid to run these art workshops is kind of just like the icing on top of a delicious cake. Like I, I already feel so full just getting to be in community with so many great artists like Aganza and all of the other people that I have met, um, 
both as an artist and then also as a librarian, because I'm also seeing, you know, I, I don't know if this is like a coincidence or something, but the more representation I see for Latinos in the arts, the more I see representation for Latinos in other types of life, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know, suddenly I'm seeing like more and more Latinos in in library science. And um, it I think it opens you up to this world of like, People, you know, people who are Latinos that are working in healthcare, people who are Latinos mm-hmm. who are working in law. Again, that representation. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. We <sighs> deserve the world. If there's one thing I've learned since becoming a children's librarian is that kids deserve the world. And if there is anything I can do to provide that, I will. And just us being here. Right there. Some people might listen to this episode and be like, mm, they're really souped up. Yeah, I am. Personally, I am. <laughs> I absolutely yeah. am. I don't know. I think where it is challenging for me is that I don't, re- right now, I don't have as much of a public facing role as I would like. And specifically, I I don't work with the um, age population that I I don't I don't even know if I would like because I've never really had the chance to work with a younger audience you know hopefully in the future that is something that I do more because I think I would like to um I just think kids are at this really beautiful I just remember myself as a kid and I think what what it all kind of comes back to is like my my artistic and my creative practice is almost like a self-care practice for my inner child. And so a lot of what I do now, I really do to like make my inner child happy and joyous. And because I know that's what I would have like gone bonkers over (laughs) as a kid. If, if someone who was bilingual came up to me when I was little and was like, do you want to learn how to make your own books? I would have lost my mind completely. I would have been like, what do you mean? I can make my own book and all I need is a piece of paper Mm -hmm. Um, and I can draw and I can write and I can do whatever. And then there are even little kids. uh, You'll see news stories sometimes who they'll make their own book at home and then they'll go to their local library and they'll ask, the children's librarian if they can put their book in on the shelf and a great I think a great librarian will always be like yeah we can you know we can figure it out and there have been a few news stories of places actually cataloging the book and like you know putting the cover on and putting the spine label on and putting it in the system so that it can be checked in and out even if it's only checked in and out by the kid that wrote it um I feel like that is such a meaningful tangible kind of experience that I would have loved to have had as a kid and so if there's any way that I could make that experience possible now for someone that's like all I would ever want Mm -hmm. yeah that's your like your goal right now (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) we're such a small state and I think about how we can grow our community stronger and 
I mean, just from city to city, neighborhood to neighborhood, the whole state. And I don't, I mean, I don't have the solutions, not right now, but I think about what, what is one way to bring people to our culture? And it's always Hispanic Heritage Month, right? Like that's why we're doing this episode, right? To bring some light into how we feel, what we do. Um, And that's why moving forward into what we are doing here in Cranston with Genesis as uh, one of our programmers, um, what I've decided to do for Hispanic Heritage Month is do a three-week session. So the first week is Spaghetti Towers. It turns out that a Puerto Rican inventor actually basically copyrighted and designed the sort of metal beams that go inside of concrete to keep it sort of stable. And so we're going to have a quick lesson about who he is, how this came to be, talk about this wonderful Puerto Rican inventor, and then we're going to build super awesome spaghetti towers. And in the second week, we're going to make Dominican chimichurris because (sighs) Cranston needs culture. Cranston needs culture. And my mom happens to make the best chimichurris. So we're going to do that. And in our third week, I've invited Genesis, actually, to come host a workshop about mini comics, aka zines. That's going to be very exciting. This is this is our first time, I'm thinking, that Cranston is sort of doing something that's so focused and like so intentional with Hispanic Heritage Month in mind. And in here at the Central Library, I made these tiny Loreia cards, and they have different symbols and stuff like that for our children's room. And so kids are going to be able to pick a prize and a sticker when they complete the card. And I was super slick with it because like I put um, certain like symbols and locations for where all of our Spanish language materials are. So girly pops, you're going to have to look for it. This kid's going to be like, what? You have these? Yes. I'm excited. I want to go now. I'm like, what? Yeah, come do it. Yeah. Come do it. Anybody can do it. It's just in the children's room. But yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm a child. I don't care how old I am. See, we all have to keep that like youthful energy in us. Yeah. That's how we keep going. That's how we keep going. Are y'all doing anything specific for Hispanic Heritage Month? I am. I just finished a mural at um, Mary's Home for Children. And it's, uh, a, it's a campus in, in North Providence that's definitely underestimated. They serve a lot of youth. And so my dream has been, I'm not a writer, but my dream has always been to have a children's book, reason why I read a lot of children's books, um, but also to have a children's coloring book. Um, and so for... Hispanic Heritage Month, I'm actually going to be um, sharing some coloring pages of that mural, but I'm also going to be creating two murals and um, doing a culture and canvas event at URI and another one at Rick, Rhode Island College, um, to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month. Love that. But they're all going to be on topics of heritage uh, like Latin roots and um, just embracing um, Latin communities. So to come. What about you, Genesis? You doing anything specific? I'm really excited for our workshop. Uh, we're going to be talking kind of more about like family history and identity. Um, I'm also just thinking about like how Hispanic Heritage Month events are great, but there are other months in the year where it's also important to have programming for Latino. Something that I've done in the past, uh, like around December, is we'll read the Gary Soso book, Too Many Tamales, 
which is a story about a little girl helping uh, the women in her family make tamales for their holiday dinner. So we'll actually like make tamales with the kids after we read the the story together. Just like highlighting that there are other opportunities for um, having programming. I don't even think they necessarily need to be tied into like a holiday or anything. Oh, yeah. There was a really beautiful book that came out recently about the axolotl. I think it was called Not a Monster. And I thought that was a really sweet, like, summertime aquatic animal kind of themed book um, that I would love to do some something with. I just love axolotls. Um, and I love the indigenous language of Mexico that their name comes from. So... I would love to do more programming, just celebrating like every day of Latinidad. There's a lot of opportunities to celebrate the kind of everyday joys, experiences of Latinos all throughout the year. Absolutely. Not just during Hispanic Heritage Month. It's odd because I actually celebrate more Latinidad in February um, because that's where... Well, Dominicans, we celebrate, we have the Carnaval, where we have, we celebrate these, like, characters that go down the street, and they we dress up, and we have this, like, uh, cultural dance, and these shapes on the street, and, um, but I agree, I think we need to celebrate it every, all year, every day, because um, I think, I think Hispanic, Latin communities have done a lot for the country, you know, everything wise when it comes to like the industry and uh, manufacturing, there's so much things that we brought and we're still bringing, um, especially with like food and like, you know, our culture has influenced a lot of things and we don't really get recognition for it, so. Well, thank you for speaking with me today. It's been beyond an, an honor. I, I can't even iterate exactly how I feel. This was really, really, really important to me. And I really, really, really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Um, even like the way this conversation was, I, I really enjoyed how we let each other speak and gave each other the time to speak. Thank you for that. For anybody hearing, I'm going to say, I think it's super important to like, even if you're not interested in the topics that, that you know, you, Elena, do, and Hennessy does, or I do, um, it's important to support, like, you know, keep up with us, mm-hmm. social media, and all the things we do, because um, someone in your family might be, enjoy that, and um, supporting someone that, that, you know, you look like, or someone you know looks like, is super important when it comes to representation, and, you know, we're not just like doing it, oh, we're doing it. We're actually giving back to the community and being that representation. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people do that. They just pick up and leave when they think that they can't grow because they're being, they're thinking about themselves as we're all doing something not for ourselves, but to be able to provide to others and to the youth. And that's, that's really hard to come across. You know, everybody, we're, we're in a world where there's so much violence and there's not enough encouragement of of support and love and um being able to give and we're we're doing that right now and so um 
support is the best way and support doesn't have to be financial or whatever it's literally just being there it's the presence of just you know supporting what we're doing and um letting us know that we're there and we're being watched so being willing to listen i think is the first step mm-hmm. hear what we're saying and being like wow okay i'm willing to learn more mm-hmm. yeah and then supporting artists after that because it's hard work it is i feel like what we talked about was like such a small portion of like what actually goes oh, on yeah. it is such a small 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 portion of what's going on and what can happen for the future so again having the both of you here is an absolute pleasure so we wrap up the show with a segment called The Last Chapter, where we talk about a library or bookish related question. For today's question, I chose, I think, an easy one. I think this one's easy. Reading snacks. What do you eat or drink while you read? Huh. I I actually have to go get my book because I actually keep it in my room. Like I've read it like 10 times <laughs> and then I keep it as decoration because I love them so much. But it's the... Um, the island born and if Dominican was a color and um, mm-hmm. when I I read them to get I use them as inspiration I like to snack on co- like I drink coconut water and oh. um, I make tostones with salami frito um, or um, I tend to have like a, um, I actually get imported ojolitas from Dominican Republic because they're not sold here <laughs> But Ojuelitas is a Dominican chip, and I I go home and I bring, like, tons of it when I go to DR, and so I keep them to snack when I'm, it's like my, I call it my magic, like, my magic snack, because I tend to get inspired, and I don't know what it is, but, like, some Latinidad comes in. I love that word, Hennessy. Now you have me saying Latinidad a lot, so, Um, but yeah, I, I tend to snack on Ojuelitas when um, I want to get inspired. <laughs> I love that. What about you, Genesis? I I don't know. I honestly feel like I don't really snack when I'm reading, maybe because I, I tend to read a lot before bed and I don't like snack in bed. But um, I do sometimes have like candy. So um, I'll have like Maybe a piece of chocolate, maybe a glass of wine. Um, yeah, sometimes I also will eat um, the mini Starburst. Mm. So this this is essential because the mini Starbursts are unwrapped. So you don't have to waste any time unwrapping your snack. You can just pop the, the mini starburst. Um, so yeah, you, I think I'm leaning towards candy, but usually I'm not snacking. Hmm. All cozy stuff. I'm a classic reader. I'll have a vanilla chai tea. Half the cup is a tea and the other half is whipped cream. So that's who I am with lots of sugar. If anything, it's like a quarter of sugar, a quarter of tea, and then whipped cream. Will you have like a like a little pastry, like a little pastelito or something? No, too much of a mess. So you guys, you guys are sweet girls, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing I was going to say is maybe popcorn. Yeah. Like, I have definitely, like, I feel like I eat more, like, popcorn when I'm reading, like, something that's faster paced, like a graphic novel. Or if I'm oh. reading through a bunch of children's books, I might just, like, snack on some popcorn. So actually, talking about popcorn, not great, but when you have a chance, when you get popcorn, put a little patty and shake it, um, and it's 
<laughs> I, I put Ashley in my bag when I go to the movies now because I'm like, I need to give that little place a little fun. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good snack too. Is tahine with like cucumber, yeah. sliced cucumber mm. and tahine. <laughs> I eat I eat it with mango, but tahine with mango. So classic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, lovely. Thank you for joining me today. And thank you, everyone, for listening. If you'd like to respond to the last chapter topic, send us an email at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org or reach out to us via social media with the hashtag downtimecpl. If you're feeling generous, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps people find the show. Thank you again for listening. And this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Elena Rios, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. And our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts. Connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the speaker's own and do not represent those of the Cranston Public Library. The material and information presented here is for general information purposes only. The Cranston Public Library name, in all forms and abbreviation, are the property of its owners and its use does not imply endorsement or opposition to any specific organization, product, or service. The content of this episode is the property of the Cranston Public Library and may not be reproduced without express written permission. Join us next week for more Downtime.